The Adventure of the Ham-Fisted Bumbender by David McGowan Narrated by Paul Phillips Marjorie Bonbon had had an inauspicious start in life. Her mother had maintained a strong silence as to the identity of her father, but family whispers and gossip led Marjorie to conclude he had been a Yank soldier during the war. Her visions of an American father gave young Marjorie exotic airs and graces, badly needed during a childhood of the kind that, had she been possessed of creative ambitions or even functional literacy, would have served her well as subject fodder for Life were grim in them days, bestsellers in her later years. She had enjoyed the feeling, insubstantial as it was, that she was in some ways better than the other girls at school, the ones that could actually read and count and form complete sentences. Alas, Marjorie's low level of scholastic ability, coupled with the constant feared presence of a swooping maternal hand ready to slap her on the back of the head for the slightest perceived intransigence, rendered cruelly obvious what even she ultimately, come school leaving day, eventually recognised, far from being better than the other girls, Marjorie Bonbon was a person on the lowest rung of the scrap heap. It was perhaps inevitable that she would find employment as a tea lady. She had at first applied for jobs as a cleaning woman, but when she began in this role on a trial basis, she quickly became confused. Her employers pointed to windows Marjorie had only just supposedly cleaned, asking why were there such huge and plentiful fingerprints thumbprints, dust and other marks still plainly visible. Marjorie's response that the windows had to be cleaned because if they weren't clean then how would they be able to see the marks in the first place rather sealed her fate in the domestic hygiene industry. A lifetime, so it felt to her, of small tedious jobs followed. She was bemoaning her lot in life one night at Shepherd's Knees over her third pint glass of gin when Banger Babs, the barmaid, wafted the local paper under her nose. Here you go, Dax, piped Babs consolingly. Says they're looking for charwomen of that new army base down the road. You can serve them their tea and chat up the squaddies at the same time. Fate's scrubbing floors for a living, done it. Marjorie, at first, was unmoved by the suggestion, but something about it chimed at the back of her head possibly due to the military aspects of her still dim and largely unknown paternal heritage. She resolved to apply for the job the very next morning, and then asked Babs for another mother's ruin. One-eyed Jack McGinty had just entered the pub, and she knew she would need to be totally legless to tolerate the inevitable lewd suggestions and advances that the old soak's presence in her vicinity always threatened. To her vast surprise, one week later, she found herself reporting for work at her new job, Refreshments Facilitator, at the headquarters of the United Nations Intelligence Task Force. She knew it was some sort of army base, the nice lady at the interview explained as much, but it wasn't the sort of army base she'd been expecting. Not to say that there weren't lots of soldiers about the place, because there was, but they were and this was the only word she could have for it. They were actually nice. Really very nice. Unexpectedly nice. Not very rough and tumble and making lewd remarks type people at all. 
And as she spent her days wheeling around her little trolley, Marjorie felt for the first real time in her life like she was not only getting to know all these odd people, but they were, well, accepting her. Her day would begin early at seven. After signing in, she would take off her huge duffel coat and slip on her cap, and the pink plastic pinny with the unit insignia impressed upon it in a fetching shade of purple. She would fill up her hot water dispenser and make sure the danger, scaldingly hot sticker was clearly applied to it. Then fill the racks of the trolley with bags of sugar, caffeine, packets of cigarettes and chocolate, all the good stuff that everyone knew was vital to the health and well-being of your average working person, plus sandwiches, the odd bruised-looking apple, and even when the delivery boy remembered some Tonnock's caramel wafers and bars of Cowan's Highland toffee, saved for Mr Campbell, that nice man in supplies. She would toot about from building to building across the vast space that was Unit HQ. Many of the staff she would meet on her rounds had regular routines, and so Marjorie's appearance rapidly became a well-timed and welcome appointment. First there was a metal shack called the Radar Building, and the woman in charge, fancy that, thought Marjorie with a tingle of pride, oh woman, would pop out, whinge good-naturedly about asteroids on a suspiciously fixed flight pattern, whatever that was, then purchase 20 Richmond's king size and a thick black coffee before popping back inside. After that came the barracks, where the lovely Sergeant Benton would treat his lads to some bacon sarnies if they'd been particularly good in practice that morning. Marjorie, he often cooed, you've literally saved my bacon. Which always made her laugh, as it was a clever joke based around the fact she had just served him food with bacon in. Sergeant Benton was ever so lovely, with a handsome face and a kind smile that often carried her away on a little daydream where he would invite her to the ballroom dancing classes he sometimes mentioned. And then she would snap out of it to remember to wheel her trolley off to the next part of the building. The science department never looked very sciencey to Marjorie. There was usually a huge cloud of smoke coming from some whizzing, fizzing machinery and a small slip of a girl with an eye-searingly bright and embarrassingly short miniskirt would dash in, dash out, buy some chocolate drops, two cokes and a sherbet dip, dash back in, dash back out again to collect the fire extinguisher, and then dash back in for a third time. Marjorie would touch slightly, but then the girl would pop her head back out, flash a wide grin and say, Sorry, I forgot to say thanks, thanks, and then vanish. Even in the middle of perilous experiments going horribly wrong, the unit staff were polite at all times. But one of her regular customers gave Marjorie the biggest tingle of professional pride of all. For that was the Brigadier, aka the Top Charlie, aka Boss Man. She would usually find herself directing her trolley, by now considerably lighter due to four-fifths of the unit personnel already having divested it of most of its fags and sugary tea, towards whichever part of the huge sprawling complex had been designated the Brigadier's office that day. It was always changing, but every morning a helpful notice typed by Corporal Bell was pinned up to the unit notice board to inform staff of where to go that day if they needed to see the brig in person.
Marjorie could only assume this was for some interesting and complicated security purpose. Wherever the location, she would reach his office shortly before lunchtime, knock once on his door, and after saying, Come! in a clipped and terribly commanding, slightly posh voice, she would wheel in her trolley and he would smile slightly, his handsome moustache twitching a little as he declaimed, Ah, Miss Bonbon, come to tempt me with sugary delights, I see. At this point, she would giggle like a schoolgirl, reveal the cream cake or jam donut she had specifically put aside for the Briggs sweet tooth, pour him a hot drink, and then would be off. Usually with her superior saying something along the lines of, You know, my dear, units simply would be unable to function adequately without you. There was no reason Marjorie had to suppose that fateful day that things would go any differently. And yet, as soon as she got near to his office, she just knew something. Some thing. She couldn't quite put her finger on it as to what was wrong. Terribly, horribly, seriously wrong. It might have been the fact that Corporal Bell appeared to be slumped forward on her desk fast asleep, the phone in her hand emitting a piercing, ringing tone. That was quite out of character, but Marjorie reasoned the woman may just have had a late night out and was still suffering from the after-effects of one too many dram brewies. Or it might have been the fact that the brig didn't answer with his customary order to enter when she rapped on the door. She was, however, beginning to suspect it was the fact that when she did enter, a little nervously by this point, the brigadier himself was also slumped to sleep on his desk. This just was not ordering behaviour for the stalwart lads and lasses of unit headquarters. For a few moments she hesitated, not knowing what to do. But then she remembered the faces of Miss Grant and Mr Campbell, and especially her lovely Sergeant Benton. They swam before her, as if in a hallucinatory dream state, pleading with her, calling to her. Marjorie looked to the brig, to her tea trolley and back again, and then finally down to the insignia imprinted upon her own pinny-clad chest. Something within her rose, a fiery flame of passionate endeavour. She was not just an ordinary tea lady, she was the unit tea lady. And by God, goodness, and Queen Elizabeth II, she would get to the bottom of this mystery. Some time ago, she had seen a film featuring Sherlock Holmes, the famous detective from olden days. He had often come across inert-seeming persons struck dumb or dead by some nefarious drug and found valuable clues by examining the body. Marjorie copied this as best she could, pressing her ear to the brigadier's face. Good, she realised. He was snoring quietly, so was clearly still alive. Emboldened by this, she sniffed the air. No weird or unusual smell could be detected. Any other clues? She searched about his desk, but nothing out of the ordinary presented itself. And then she noticed the brig was holding his telephone. She remembered Corporal Bell, who had also fallen asleep while still on the phone. Could it be? Hesitantly. She picked up the phone and placed the receiver near, but not close to, her own ear. The effect was immediate and devastating. A shrill, 
piercing electronic burst of noise seemed to be drilling its way into her very brain. Instinctively, she threw the receiver across the room where it landed with a clatter, dangling from its cord off the side of the brig's desk. Only the fact she had been holding the phone a slight distance from her auditory canal had saved her from the same awful fate. She soon recovered her wits. Yes, it was all falling into place, she thought. They had picked up their phones and been sent this... this weird sound, which had rendered them all completely helpless. She trembled a little. Had anyone else at HQ received this call? Wheeling her trolley ahead of her, out of sheer force of habit, Marjorie explored the complex. The answer to her internal question was soon found to be yes, everyone. After a cursory search of the entire unit HQ, Marjorie came to realise she was, through some fluke or quirk of fate, the only member of the entire personnel who, through the peripatetic nature of her beverage and perishables dispensing duties, had not been anywhere near a phone and had therefore not picked one up and been exposed to the horrendous and mysterious effects of this weird, paralysing sound ray. The blips in the radar building blipped unheard. The crash dummies in the vehicle lab went untested. The science department no longer rang with the weird wheezing and groaning sounds that were so customary. All was an eerie blanket of silence. Or at least, all was silent for a short while. For just as Marjorie's brain was trying to formulate the question of who could have done such a thing and why, she heard what could only be described as a metallic splodging coming from a nearby corridor. She nervously peeked round a corner. A huge and towering something was moving towards her. It looked like several large metal filing cabinets of varying dimensions had somehow joined together and decided to start walking about on a weird sort of icky green ooze that was flowing from little nozzles near to where its feet should be. An ooze that was impossibly moving in total accord with the great metal something itself. On top of this assemblage of parts was a red light which was shining like the beacon on a police car. She thought of this as an eye of some kind. At the precise second that Marjorie processed this incredible sight, the being stopped turned slightly and, with the flapping of one of its arms, beckoned a second and similarly strange being to follow it through the door from outside. There was more than one of them. This could mean only one thing. Aliens from outer space had come to take over the Earth. It was the sort of thing she'd been warned about at the interview, but Marjorie hadn't really been listening. She'd thought it was some kind of test, along the lines of, if the fire alarms went off, what would you do? And now it was actually transpiring. All of a sudden, some of the odd things she'd seen and heard at a time as the unit tea lady were beginning to make sense. Like the time the building seemed to disappear into a black starry void for a few minutes, making her miss her usual bus home. Or the time she was asked by Sergeant Benton to be on the lookout for a trespasser, who looked exactly like him, but with a plastic unreal sheen to his skin. Maybe at this place you just had to take such things in your stride. But all this was academic now, and even Miss Bonbon, untrained as she was for such an eventuality, 
knew she had to find a hiding place where she could survive these monsters and possibly flee to the authorities. Marjorie ducked for safety in the only place she knew, underneath her trolley. She tossed out a box of biscuits, a couple of chocolate eclairs, and a sack of sugar to make room for her slight bird-like frame. There she cowered for a few agonising seconds, trying to stop her plastic unit pinny from squeaking as the two creatures slowly oozed and splodged and clanged their way up the corridor to within mere millimetres of her trolley. Phase one has gone according to all evaluations, said one of the creatures in a deep echoing voice. All humans successfully incapacitated via neural inhibitor pulse number two. I would have used number three myself, said its fellow. It scrambles their puny humanoid brains completely. Nevertheless, a job well done. Now to absorb the technology for use in phase two of the invasion and conquest master plan. My detector says that weaponry and advanced temporal circuitry is contained in the building immediately adjacent to us. And off they splodged to the science building. Marjorie climbed out from under the trolley. Events were becoming rapidly clear. They wanted something from the unit science boffins. Something they needed before they could be certain of invading the Earth without being nobbled by the Brig and his gang. But that gang was out of action, thanks to their fiendish telephone brain scrambler thingy. And the only member of unit that was available to stop them was herself, Marjorie Bonbon. Refreshments facilitator, charwoman, bun vendor, tea lady. If she'd paused to analyse the situation, even she would have concluded she was by no means the most appropriate woman for the job. She was untrained, inexperienced and totally out of her depth. But stirrings began to stir within her bosom. And as they stirred, she began to feel less shaken. Unit had taken on this dreary, bored, borderline unemployable wretch and turned her into somebody who was part of a team. Someone who mattered. Someone who belonged. And she was jiggered if she was going to let some metal alien beasties conquer her friends and lay waste to the entire planet. She stood up to her full height and adjusted her pinny. I won't let the side down, sir, she blurted out, despite herself glancing back to the brigadier's office door. Before she was quite aware of what she was even doing, she was wheeling her tea trolley with an air of steely determination towards the science department. It would have been very hard for Marjorie to describe the feeling that was churning away in her guts and throbbing in her chest when she opened the door and entered. Fear and pride, and even a sense of embarrassment, all intermingled as she tried to focus on what was immediately in front of her. The sight of the two metal monsters opening up parts of themselves and, like blessed tea leaves, chucking various bits and bobs of equipment inside them and clanging in the compartment shut, verbally ticking the things off a list as they did so. Molecular pulsator. Check. Steady state welder. Check. Amplified quantum phase initiator belt. Check. At this sight, something snapped, and all the other feelings gave way to anger. 
just sheer anger at these thieving little nasties taking what weren't rightfully theirs. And suddenly she felt as capable and brilliant and as special as she used to imagine herself as being in those fantasizing long ago days of childhood. Fists shaking, she shouted, Hey, you cut that out, you! This instant! The monsters stopped and turned towards her, red eyes flashing. What? I said you stop that! Those things ain't yours! They're units property! And I happens to know you can't take anything like that out of here without signing for them! So off it! Her legs were trembling a little by this point, but she was too irate to notice. One of the monsters turned to its fellow. It would appear second grade that your deployment of the neural inhibitor pulse number two was in fact somewhat less than entirely satisfactory. The other one's red light changed shades slightly and flashed a bit pink. I am sorry, Alpha Red. I, I do not know how this feeling could have escaped. It's power. I can't destroy it. Ooh, she seemed. I'm an it now, am I? To be destroyed now, am I? Well, if that don't take the bleeding biscuit. You think you can come in here and knock everyone unconscientious and steal stuff and then murder me in cold blood? You're messing with units now, sunshine. Oh, no, you don't. This last shout was in response to the pink-lamped monster, which was now moving toward her with a nasty-looking blade emerging threateningly from an open compartment in its chest. From her trolley, she hefted up the hot water dispenser, took aim and pressed down on its operating button with vengeful intent. In a split second, a stream of scaldingly hot water was jetting forth from its nozzle, hitting the alien invader dead on. Have a drink on me, she hooted as the creature was stopped in its tracks, wailing in agony as the burning liquid, which was evidently searing its way through its top two or three layers of metallic skin. Blimey, she thought privately. That must be hotter than I thought. The second creature, the one that looked as if it was in charge, seemed to be looking about for something, and on a rack on a far wall soon found it. Excellent, it boomed. A particle dispersal cannon. The cannon was well named and Marjorie gulped involuntarily as the alien removed what looked like a silver rocket launcher with a weird glowing ball at the end and aimed it in her direction. For a few seconds time seemed to stand still. She raced through her memory of her time at unit. What would Sergeant Benton do in this situation? She thought back to seeing him take charge of his lads on an explosives training session in the ground nearby HQ one day recently. And then the answer came to her. Scrambling madly underneath her trolley, she whisked out a bag of iced buns. Grenades! she cried, and threw the entire bag of buns at the metallic fiend before ducking for cover. Ah! she heard it cry and a misfiring beam of some weird laser-like energy or something whizzed overhead, narrowly missing her cap. She risked lifting her head over the parapet of her trolley. What she saw astonished her. The buns had evidently been somewhat less than fresh because dents were visible on the villain's metal skin. And what was more, the sticky icing which had covered all of the buns was reacting with the weird slimy substance on which it moved, 
creating a sugary, treacle-like mass, which, despite the aliens' apparent attempts to retreat, was rendering such an escape impossible. The resulting effect was a pile of irate filing cabinets dancing madly with its feet rooted to the spot, as if it were a groovy secretary having a quick lunchtime boogie down the Liverpool cavern. With a similar pile of metal boxes groaning and writhing on the floor nearby, as boiling water ate its way through them at a shocking rate of speed. Marjorie risked a little skip of joy. Confound you, human wretch! boomed the lead alien vaingloriously, its red lamp now flashing between pink, green, purple and blue, in what she could only take to be an extraterrestrial equivalent of a fit of peak. You have cost me my victory. That, sir, will be quite enough out of you. Marjorie whirled round in reaction to the voice coming from the doors. She clapped her hands together with delight. It was none other than the brigadier himself. Stepping over the felled invader deftly, and covering the second invader with his service revolver all the while, the brigadier attended to Marjorie. Quizzical look flitted very briefly over his features as he said, I would ask if you were all right, but it appears as if you've coped with this state of affairs admirably. Thank heavens you're one member of unit not caught napping. Alarms began sounding through the building. Evidently, the would-be invader's knockout signal was wearing off. Corporal Bell came running through the doors. Brigadier, what is... good heavens! At that exact moment, both of the aliens gave a last clattering blobby cry of frustration or pain and gave up the ghost, collapsing into inert heaps. Either they had died, or their inner intelligence had been beamed out of their bodies and out to a point who knew where in the outer cosmos. Unit HQ, and indeed the whole planet, was now safe. Not to worry, Corporal, said the Brig cheerfully. As you can see, Miss Bonbon has the entire situation under control. You'd better get Sergeant Benter to round up this bunch of scrap metal and chewing gum. Oh, and if you can rouse our scientific advisor and Miss Grant, I want a complete report on any equipment that may have been stolen. Very good, sir. And as for you, Miss Bonbon... He put away his revolver and smiled warmly at her. I shall be putting you in for a commendation. In the face of adversity, you have shown initiative, courage, and good thinking. I wish I had a dozen more men like you. Marjorie felt herself ballooning with pride. Adjusting her penny and cap, it was all she could do to avoid involuntarily giving a curtsy. Just wait until she was next in the shepherd's knees. They wouldn't believe half of what she would have to say, even if she was allowed to reveal all the facts. But it wouldn't be breaking the official secret's hat, the cap the brig wore, which was mentioned at the job interview, to mention she'd been given an official commendation. She could just see Bab's look of admiration. And if those slimy wandering hands of one-eyed Jack McGinty dared so much as hover towards her in the future, Miss Marjorie Bonbon knew how to deal with the likes of him. Oh yes, sir, she thought. From this moment on, the world better watch out, because she was the unit tea lady. And with her last breath, she would always, she swore, be there to defend it.